Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. My son, pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, and don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead, carefully consider the path for your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left, keep your feet away from evil. The word of the Lord. Thank you guys for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I love the Kansas City shout out. Um, I know a few other Kansas City folks here, my friend Darian. Um, so it's a great city if you ever get to, a chance to visit. But um, I've been in Southern California for about 16 years now after UCLA. I stayed, worked at Biola for nine years. Um, some of you probably, I'm guessing, are at Biola or Talbot. Um, and I've been at the Gospel Coalition for um, four years now. So it's an honor to be here. I bring greetings from Southland Santa Ana. That's the church where I am an elder, just down the street, not too far in Santa Ana. Um, we are a new church plant. We just started in January. So it's exciting times, um, difficult times planting churches in pandemics, as you would imagine, but God has been good. Um, and I'm so excited that you guys are kind of reading through the Wisdom Pyramid, or some of you are. Um, and I'll be back in a few weeks on October 3rd for an evening kind of Q&A interactive session on that. So I look forward to that. Um, I was thinking about how to start, and you know, this weekend is the 20th anniversary of 9-11 yesterday. I'm sure many of you watched uh, specials, documentaries to kind of remember that day. Um, it's one of those days where, you know, if you were alive, you remember it. It's kind of like, where was I? What was I doing? And I was thinking about my own experience. I was um, in my first few weeks of college at Wheaton College in the Chicago area. And um, it was like the first time I had lived away from home. So it was kind of a weird thing to happen. The world felt like it was ending. Um, but Wheaton was actually a good place to be. We had chapel, like an impromptu chapel that morning. Um, but I was thinking, as I was reflecting on that day 20 years ago, I was thinking about how different the media landscape was and how just how we process breaking news and how we watch kind of things unfolding in the world. Um, it was back then 20 years ago, for those who are younger, you, you probably can't even fathom this, but there were no smartphones. So like when I, I was having breakfast in Anderson Commons, the dining hall, when I first heard some people talking about like a plane hit the World Trade Center and you know, these days, everyone would just pull out their phones and, like, get all the information, maybe watch it, kind of live stream. We couldn't do that back then, so I, I had to wait until I got back to my dorm room and turned on my little antenna TV, and then, and then there it was. There was the, the towers on fire. Um, and then later in the morning, I had a job on campus, uh, and I had to, there was no TV there, so I was listening to it on the radio. Again, no smartphones, so... I was listening to the, the things unfold on the radio, and that was where I heard um, the description, the towers have collapsed. Like, imagine hearing that without being able to see it. It was hard to wrap my head around. Like, what is that? What? The towers completely collapsed? But all of this is just to say, like, media has changed hugely in the last two decades, right? The internet, we forget, um, was kind of in its infancy in 2001. 
Um, just for kind of kicks, I, I went on the Internet Archive yesterday. Um, has anyone ever spent time poking around the Internet Archive? If you're a history major like myself, you do weird things like that. But uh, the Internet Archive has something called the Wayback Machine. And what you can do is you can type in any website uh, and any date from that website. And if they have an archive of it, you can see what, that, what it looked like on that date. And so I looked, uh, I looked up CNN.com on, on September 11, 2001, and uh, it was crazy. Not, I, it was shocking not what was reported or the headlines, although that was interesting. What was shocking was how rudimentary it looked like. This afternoon, you should look. Look it up. Go to Wayback Machine and just type in any website on September 11th. And you'll see, like, wow, the internet was really like a rudimentary thing. Like, the design of these web pages was, was crazy in the early days of the internet compared to where we are now. Um, some of you in the audience who, who are in Gen Z, you know, weren't alive probably when 9-11 happened. And certainly, you can't remember the early days of the internet. You can't remember life before the internet. Um, for millennials like myself, millennials were getting old, right? Um, there's a term called geriatric millennial now, and I think I might qualify for that. But if you're a millennial and you're older, um, you do have memories of life before the internet. Um, although I have to admit, like, those memories are foggy. Like, sometimes I sit there and I wonder, like, how did we do, like, such and such thing before the internet? Like, everyday tasks. Like, how did I, like, plan trips before the internet? Like, the other, the other day I was thinking about um, navigation. How did we get from point A to point B before smartphones, right? These days, it's just we pull out our phone, we type in the address in Google Maps, and that's how we find our way. But how did we do that before smartphones and the internet? I, I genuinely struggle to remember how we did that. Did we, have, did we all have atlases in our car? Like, I, I honestly, I, re, I, re, I have vague memories of printing out um, MapQuest directions, like, on physical paper. But even that depended on the internet, right? MapQuest.com. So what did we do before the internet? I, we can talk about that after if anyone can remind me. Um, but anyway, um, speaking of maps, this is where I'm going with the map thing. One of the early metaphors of the internet, some of you remember in the 90s, was the information superhighway. Um, this was a term that was uh, coined. If it wasn't coined, it was popularized by Al Gore, of all people. Um, he did invent the internet in this way. Um, he popularized this term, the information superhighway. And it was really this idea that, like, and it was hard to fathom at the time what it meant, but it was this idea of interconnected digital roadways of where your office and your home and shopping malls and, you know, all these things were connected in this web of, you know, traffic ways, digital traffic ways. The idea of it was kind of like a utopian idea. Um, the early days of the internet, it really was seen as this new utopia. Like, wow, like we can do all of this stuff digitally that we used to do, you know, in brick and mortar ways, analog ways. And, you know, honestly, there, there are utopian aspects to it. I'm not going to lie, Amazon Prime is pretty nice. It's pretty cool to be able to order pretty much anything you want and get it the next day. But I think 20 years into the internet age, the utopian dream has kind of died, right? I don't know that anyone would look at the internet and how it has reshaped the world and say, like, the information superhighway was just a, a utopia that has come to be. The internet 
if we look at it as a superhighway, it's leading us on pathways that are not good places. I think the information superhighway often has off-ramps that go in destructive directions. When you go on your smartphone today, you can quickly find yourself, right, like meandering. You do this, and then one thing leads to another, and suddenly you're like lost in this rabbit trail of who knows what, watching things, clicking on things that are just, frankly, hazardous to your health. In many ways, I think this highway of the internet is a pathway to foolishness. We have more information than ever in the information age. That's a fact. We have infinite amounts of information at our fingertips, but I think we have less and less wisdom. That's actually the first like, sentence of my book, The Wisdom Pyramid. We live in a world with more and more information, but less and less wisdom. So how do we, as Proverbs 4, 7 says, get wisdom in a world that's overwhelmed with information? That's kind of what I want to talk about today um, out of Proverbs 4. So throughout the book of Proverbs, and I think you guys are starting or in the midst of a, a series in Proverbs, so this metaphor of pathways is something that shows up a lot in Proverbs. Wisdom is described as kind of a way, a path. Um, there's always kind of this language of like stay on the path, don't veer to the left or the right, don't get distracted or lured off of the path by this voice or that voice calling out to you from the sides, from the margins. And I think this, this image that is in Proverbs, it really connects to our experience in the digital age. I think one of the reasons why it's so hard to be wise in the internet age is because it's easier than ever to be lured off of the path. The information superhighway is one big addictive experience where it's always pulling us off of the path to go do this, to, to go do that. It's a place of meandering diversion more than meaningful destination. And the algorithms of the internet um, are, I like to call them the lady folly of the digital age. So Lady Folly in the book of Proverbs is a recurring character, this image of foolishness in contrast to Lady Wisdom. Um, and Lady Folly, I think, is expressed in the digital age by all these algorithms, all these voices that are calling like, hey, I don't know where you're going, I don't know what path you're on, but you can spare a few moments to come, come with me, come sit at my doorstep and, and engage with whatever I want you to engage with. So this is why it's so hard to be wise in the digital age. So uh, we already read the passage, Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, but um, keep your Bibles open, keep your bulletins open, because I'm going to reference it um, in my three points. So I have three points today, simple points that I just want to make about the way of wisdom. What does the way of wisdom look like in contrast to foolishness, specifically in the context of the information superhighway that we're all trying to navigate? And the first point I want to make is that wisdom is holistic. The way of wisdom is holistic. You, I'm not talking about holistic in terms of like Eastern medicine, like wellness. I'm talking about holistic in terms of we are whole body creatures. Um, we are not just brains on sticks, right? Like wisdom is not just data that comes into our brains. Uh, God created us as full bodied creatures with senses and we take in the world in all of these ways. Uh, and in this passage that we read, um, there's kind of all this language that gets at this, right? So verse 20, turn your ear 
to my words. Pay attention to what you listen to, what comes in that sense. Verse 25, fix your eyes straight ahead. Pay attention to what you see, what you look at, what you're watching. Verse 23, guard your heart. Be mindful of where your loves, where your emotions are oriented, where your desires are being directed. Verse 24, keep corrupt talk from what? From your lips, right? Be mindful of what you say. In verse 27, keep your foot from evil, right? Watch where you step. Watch where you're going, whose company you keep. And that one in particular in the digital age is one we have to be mindful of. Where are we going? Where are we stepping? Uh, What are the landmines we need to avoid? We'll talk more about that in a minute. So everything in this passage hints at the idea that wisdom involves our whole selves, right? It's not just about collecting data in our brains. It's about all the ways that we as embodied creatures, God made us this way, how our senses take in the world. And I think never before in history have we lived in a moment where our senses are so bombarded as they are now, right? We are so overstimulated in the digital age. Every day, our eyes and ears in particular encounter um, enormous amounts of stimulation, right? And that means there are so many more ways than ever before to go wrong, to kind of go off the path, to be distracted by this. You know, watch this video on YouTube, read this article, watch this on TikTok, listen to this podcast, right? The glut is making us sick because we're binging, we're going back to the buffet, so to speak, of junk food constantly, and it's making us sick. So there's a parallel that I make in the book and I wanna talk about today, just between physical health and spiritual health or wisdom. Just like physical health depends in large part on intakes, right? What you, t- what you take in, what constitutes your diet. Uh, that's what the food pyramid was all about. What are the food groups that are conducive to a healthy diet? Just as our physical health depends on the types of things we take in, our spiritual health as well depends on what we take in. In this case, not physical food, but ideas, right? Voices, the things that we take in form us for good or for ill. They can make us spiritually healthy or they can make us spiritually sick. And I think that we're seeing in our society where we're spending more and more time kind of feeding at the buffet of toxic toxins and junk food that it's making us spiritually sick as a society. Our diet of intakes is not balanced. It's not good for us. What we need is discernment and intentionality in what constitutes our sensory experiences and our information diet. So this is my second point. Wisdom is intentional. It requires intentionality. And we see this as well in the passage in verses 20 through 22. It says, pay attention to what I say. That's, that, that, those are um, words of intentionality. Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. We have to intentionally shift our ear to God's words. Do not let them out of your sight, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. I love that, that section of this passage because it makes a very direct connection between intentionality of what we pay attention to, what we're reading, what we're listening to, and wisdom and health, right? It will be health to your whole body. Um, again, our intakes constitute our health. And that's as true for our spiritual health as for our physical health. And what's at stake? 
like nothing less than our hearts. The passage says, right, your heart. We have to guard our hearts because from it, everything else flows, right? Everything you do flows from it. So that's what is at stake. And I've seen, honestly, as a pastor, as an elder of a church, I've seen so many people's hearts that become co-opted by the internet these days, right? I've seen so many hearts by virtue of what they're listening to, watching, spending time doing online. I've seen their hearts become captive to unhealthy things, echo chambers, partisan, conspiracy theories, whatever. And from your heart, everything else flows, right? And so I've seen those people gradually de-emphasize church and de-emphasize kind of Christian living in favor of partisan living or whatever, however the internet is shaping them. So this is why intentionality is so important, right? We have to be mindful of our hearts are formed by where we spend our time, by the intakes we take in. So we need to be more intentional than ever in this era of the information superhighway where we can go anywhere with the click of a button, right? With a quick scroll, with a quick Google search, we are instantly on any number of paths going in any number of unhelpful, possibly deadly directions. So we desperately need to be intentional with where we go in this vast system, this vast interconnected highway that is the internet. Listen, listen again to the verse, verses 26 and 27 of this passage. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Give careful thought to your path. Are you giving careful thought to your path in, in terms of your digital path that you're forging on any given day when you open your phone or your computer? Are we practicing this? Give careful thought to your path and do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. When we open our phones out of habit, which we do, right? Like, it's a, it's a scary thing how conditioned we are to do this. Like, when I sit at a stoplight in my car and I have like 10 seconds to spare, what do I do out of instinct? I grab for my phone and there's like two notifications that I can look at or like one tweet I can look at in those 10 seconds. When I'm waiting for coffee, instead of just like being present and still and silent, I instinctively grab my phone. I have a minute to kill, so let me just scroll for a little bit. The internet and our smartphones in particular are gradually colonizing every ounce of spare space we have in our lives. And this is to our detriment. This is to our folly. Because what happens when you use the internet that way, when you just take out your phone out of habit, there's nothing in particular you're wanting to do. It's just like, I'm killing time. That, that is not intentional, right? That's passive. That means you are just at the mercy of where the algorithms want to take you. They want you to click on this. They want you to watch this. They want you to listen to this. The algorithms are counting on people being passive, consumers. They don't want us to have a specific thing in mind when we open our phones. They're happy to be your guide, directing your path to the right or the left, but that's a recipe for disaster, right? Algorithms are the lady folly of our day. Proverbs 7, 25 through 26 describes lady folly in this way. Don't let your heart turn aside to her ways. Don't stray onto her paths, for she has brought many down to death. Her victims are countless. I would argue that the, the victims 
of algorithms in today's world are countless. They're leading people, countless numbers of people into dark places, pulling them off of any sort of path of wisdom and pulling them into all sorts of dark and dangerous communities, places on the, on the internet that are not good for their heart and for their formation. Um, some of you might have seen a documentary recently on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Has anyone seen that? Um, it's quite a disturbing documentary, but it kind of talks about what I'm talking about with the algorithms and how these uh, Silicon Valley companies have engineered these social platforms with algorithms so that they feed people more of what they want and get them addicted and hooked, right? So I love chocolate chip cookies and uh, like paired with a nice black coffee. So anyone who knows me, if they, if they want to like know how to kind of lure me in, they would just constantly give me like a really good chocolate chip cookie with sea salt and a good black coffee. That's what the algorithms do. They figure out like what is kind of the thing that gets you and they give you more and more of that um, so that you will stay on the platform, right? This is happening every day in our lives. Like even the other day, I, I have a weird obsession with roller coasters ever since I was a kid. I'm, I, I find them so fun and fascinating. I wanted to be a roller coaster like architect. That was my dream job as a kid. And Facebook has figured that out. And so every day on Facebook, there's like 10 like links to like um, ride this roller coaster. Have you seen this cool roller coaster that's open? And I'm a sucker for it. I always click on it and I find myself wasting umpteen minutes, you know, looking at roller coaster videos. But that's what the internet does, right? It, it pulls us in, it lures us off whatever path of intentionality we have. Again, if we're not intentional with how we use the internet, we will be passive. And if we're passive in the world of the information superhighway, it's almost guaranteed that we will be taken off of the path of wisdom. I, again, I see it every day as a church leader. I've seen people in my church be kind of taken off the path. Um, I've been writing some articles recently for the Gospel Coalition about um, a term that I call digital discipleship. And um, I wrote an article last year with the headline, um, Churches Are Losing the Battle of Formation. Um, COVID, among its many unfortunate challenges for churches, and it's been a once-in-a-generation challenge for churches, but I think one of the biggest ones that I've seen is the coupling of less time with your Christian community and more time online, right? All of us spent more time than ever online by necessity. Everything was digital. Everything was virtual. Paired with less time in physical community with your church, it's been a recipe for disaster for churches all over the world. And I've talked to pastors. All of them have stories like this. People are being discipled more by the echo chambers and by the digital communities that they spend time within than they are by their church, which means they're being formed spiritually more in this unhealthy direction than they are in the way that the church form us. And so what happens is churches are being ripped apart, right? Everyone is battling it out about masks and vaccines and race and justice and who knows what else. And it's because we're not really being formed by scripture in Christian community. We're being formed by the internet. That's what's forming us on these issues. So, <laughs> sorry this is kind of a downer. So what do we do? This, I'm gonna shift to kind of a hopeful, um, my kind of suggestion. What do we do? Like, it's one thing to say we need to be more intentional about what we watch, what we click on, what we read or don't read, but 
where do we start? Like, isn't that just subjective? Like, if we're all living in this kind of post-truth world where we can't even tell facts from, you know, fake news or opinion from reality, like, how do we build a diet of wisdom that's solid and dependable? My answer in the wisdom pyramid is that the only way to do this is to build on the solid foundation of God and God's word, right? God is the only objective, transcendent source and measure and arbiter of truth that anyone has. So we have to orient our lives around God. And that's my third point. Wisdom, the way of wisdom is fundamentally oriented around God. This is the big idea of Proverbs. It's the big idea of the whole Bible, I think. Um, orient your life around God, and that will be a recipe for wisdom. Um, the book of James is another um, book of the Bible. Proverbs is kind of the, the go-to wisdom book, but there's other ones too. And James is a good one. Um, I know I have a James expert here in the second row, so um, you can talk to him more about this. But um, I love some of the things James says about wisdom, right? He says true wisdom is from above, right? That's significant because I think in today's day and age, we like to think of wisdom sometimes as like my own instincts. Look within myself. Right, like what I think is true is the source of truth. That's not true. Wisdom is not something that comes, bubbles up from beneath or, or within. It only comes from above. It's a God-given, God-created, God-oriented, God-fearing gift. It's a gift for us to be able to filter, evaluate, and apply information in ways that lead to right judgments and overall flourishing. So the, the key takeaway is we cannot be wise apart from God, right? He is the standard, the definition, the source, the keeper of wisdom. And so it makes sense that if we want to be wise, we have to constitute our diet in a way that is oriented around God. Um, so I think one key here is to think of um, your diet of information in terms of proximity to God. And so this is where my wisdom pyramid, which I think is on the slides, um, you, you can kind of follow along briefly. I'm not gonna spend much time on this because when I come back in October, we'll dive deeper into this. But um, in terms of how I ordered the wisdom pyramid, so just like the food pyramid, the, the, the more foundational categories for your diet are the ones at the bottom. And going up from the bottom up, it goes from most important to kind of like still can be healthy but not as important and then at the very top of the food pyramid if you remember it was like fats oils and sweets like dessert like you can occasionally like in, in, enjoy that but if you make it the staple of your diet you're going to be sick okay so in my wisdom pyramid the fats oils and sweets category is the internet and social media but of course many of us have flipped that um, it doesn't occupy the least important category. It, it occupies the base, and that's what's making us sick. But um, yeah, so from the bottom up of the wisdom pyramid, I go from really most proximate to God as a source of truth to least proximate to God. So the Bible, God's word, that has to be the foundation of our wisdom diet because it's the only like direct from the source category of knowledge that we have, right? It's God speaking to us directly, it has, it's, the, it's a gift, right? What an amazing thing that we have the Bible. We have a direct kind of revelation from God. So that has to be our primary category of wisdom. Then the church. This is proximity to God in that it's his 
presence among his people. It's the institution God created, he's forming, he's gathering people to be on mission for him. And so we have proximity to God in the church and the church helps us interpret the Bible, which is an important part of our wisdom, having a community that helps us kind of glean the wisdom that God wants us to glean from his word. And then nature, so this is one that some people like, we're like, oh, that's interesting. Why is nature the third most important category for our wisdom? Well, I would argue that if proximity to God is how we should order our wisdom diets, then nature is God's creation, right? It's not filtered or mediated through fallible man, right? We can destroy it, we can like mess it up, but as it is ordered, as it is created, it is a God-created thing. And so there are, there's wisdom to be found in nature if we get off our phones long enough to listen to it, to look at it, to pay attention to it. And the Bible itself tells us to do this, right? Psalm 19, Romans 1, general revelation is a thing the Bible pushes us to do. But it's not as important as the special revelation of scripture, so that's an important point. And then books, so um, books, this is where we start to get to the part of the wisdom pyramid where it's man-created things. So while there can be truth, found that's good for our wisdom, there's also potential for error. So that's why these are kind of at the upper part of the wisdom pyramid. Books, of course, these are, this is God, God's image bearers pursuing truth. If I could summarize what a book is, it's people who bear the image of God trying to make sense of the world. That can, of course, be good for our wisdom diet, and we should be reading books, but we have to be careful, we have to exercise discernment and critical thinking because not everything humans say, of course, is um, gospel truth. And then beauty, similarly, I would say if, if nature is God's beauty, God's kind of artistic creation, um, the beauty category, as I argue in my book, is human-created beauty, right? It's God's image bearers making beautiful things out of the raw materials of the world. And that can be wonderful and is important, I think, for our wisdom, um, in part because it gets at the fact that wisdom is a full-bodied thing, that it involves our senses, not just our heads. Beauty and the arts, they work on the level of emotion, right? right? And kind of subconscious affect rather than just rationality. And that's, I think, we shouldn't underestimate the, the potential and the power of that for our wisdom. Um, listening to a, a classical music with no words by Bach or something like that can be better for your wisdom than 10 books, arguably, or, you know, 100 things on Twitter. So, okay, and that brings us to the top of the wisdom pyramid, internet and social media. Um, this is the furthest removed from God because it's not even sometimes human. Humans aren't involved. It's, it's robots. It's AI that is trying to keep us addicted is essentially what the internet is. So, okay, so... I will move on from kind of this because I'll talk more about it in October, but um, one thing I will say is I don't, I'm not recommending like anything super granular here. Like I, in the book, I don't say like, you need to have five to six helpings of the Bible, three to four helpings of church, two to three helpings of nature. Like that's kind of what the food pyramid did. But what I'm really just presenting you with is in a general rubric, um, a reminder for what sort of orientation is conducive to wisdom. Again, like it's all about orienting your life around God. So if we give our hearts and our minds more to the categories of knowledge that are closer to the source of wisdom, God, 
then it stands to reason that we'll be better positioned for spiritual health. One of the things I say in the book is that wisdom is less about information than orientation. Wisdom is about knowing true north. Orientation, right? If you're a navigator, if you're like hiking, you need a compass, right? You need to know where true north is. And all of us in our fallen state are just kind of wanderers. We're just like nomads going wherever our hearts choose to go. And we will do that our whole lives until we submit to the authority of God's compass, right? He alone illuminates the path of wisdom. And so until we submit to his kind of authority as true north, we will wander. We will all be nomads. We will all fail to be able to arbitrate what is true. And we will just, you know, it'll come down to power at the end of the day. Um, who, who, who's the most powerful? Their version of truth will prevail. But we know as Christians that if we submit to God, we are submitting to the only infallible kind of true north that there is. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God. And because of that, he wanders aimlessly through the desert. The wise man, by contrast, lives a radically God-centered life. And because of that, he is wise. So A.W. Tozer puts it this way. I love this quote. He says, as the sailor locates his position on the sea by shooting the sun, so we may get our moral bearings by looking at God. We must begin with God. We are right only when we stand in a right position relative to God. And we are wrong so far and so long as we stand in any other position. So how do we stay on the path of wisdom in a world like this, the the information superhighway, when there are so many pathways to get lost on. How do we keep our bearings? We orient our lives around God, right? We orient our senses to God. We look to God with our eyes and to the world that he made. We listen to him in the words he speaks to us through his word with our ears. We love God with our hearts, right? Which is something the church, I think, helps us do through worship. The activity of worship in community is nothing if not tuning our hearts to be oriented towards God, to learn to love him more, not just to know things about him, but to love him. That's why the church is such a fundamental part of our wisdom. Wisdom isn't just knowing things. It's, it's who we love. It's what we love. Um, and that can make you a fool or it can make you wise if you're loving the right things. So a life oriented around algorithms and smartphones, looking at whatever pops into your feed, listening to whatever voice is the loudest on Twitter, loving the applause of clicks and likes and retweets, that is the path of foolishness. But a life oriented around God, looking at his glory, listening to his voice, loving him with our hearts, that is the path of wisdom. And so I leave you with just this question to consider today, and I think it's a question that every Christian in the 21st century just needs to always have in the front of their mind. Is the orientation of your information diet, the things coming into your soul, leading you on a path of wisdom or a path of foolishness? It's hard to stay on the path of wisdom today, harder than ever, arguably, but we can only do it in the power of the Spirit in us. So to go back to to James and some of the things he says um, about wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask, God, right? He gives it generously. He's the giver of wisdom. Look to him, orient your life to him, 
Don't look within yourself for wisdom. Ask him, he will give it to you. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, that gets at the holistic nature of wisdom. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So let's do that. If we want our path to remain straight without falling off, going off this way, the left or the right, because of algorithms and lady folly, we have to acknowledge him in all of our ways, ask him for wisdom. So let's do that. And let me just close by praying and asking God right now for wisdom. Father, thank you that you do give wisdom generously. You are eager to give it. And um, I pray that we would be eager to seek it we need it, Lord. We, we live in an overwhelming world with so many ways to go off the path, so many distractions. We confess that we haven't been as intentional and as careful and as discerning as we should be in how we navigate this world. And so um, we confess that, but we just ask you for guidance, Lord. We love that you are our true north, that you give us a direction to go, a destination, um, and so many people don't have that in the world. So we, we just pray that you would give us more wisdom and help us to be lights in the world, carriers of wisdom, so that people who are lost and wandering will come to us and, and ask us, you know, how do I get some of that as well? Um, because we all need it in this world, and we will increasingly need it. So give it to us, Lord. We ask you for wisdom. In your name we pray.